Well, today we come to the next in our series that we're calling This is the Church. And we've gone through various aspects of the church as revealed in Scripture. And this week we're looking at what constitutes a healthy church. What does a healthy church look like? What, how does it function? What are its priorities? And we're going to see those from the book of Acts in the early church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn there now, or they'll be, uh, the text will be up here on this, the screen. So hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may sit down as we come and pray for God's help to understand this text. Father, we do thank you for giving us your word. We're thankful for texts like this that show a window into your heart of how your people should operate. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you convict our hearts? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us by the power of your Spirit? We come to you, Lord, in the name and in the authority of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever heard the phrase, someone ever say the phrase, I love Jesus, but I hate his church. I love Jesus, but not, a, not his church. Why would, why would someone say something like that? Likely it's because they have been hurt. They've been disillusioned. They have seen hypocrisy up close, whether through church leaders or church members, and they have decided, I've had enough. I like Jesus. I like what he says, but I don't like his people. Well, if you're here this morning, I assume you're not in that camp, because if you hated the church, you wouldn't be here as a gathering of Hope Fellowship Church. But perhaps still today, there is some hurt. There is some disillusionment in your heart about the church. Perhaps it's still difficult for you to gather with other believers. Thankfully, many of us love the church. Many here at Hope Fellowship feel like this is a healthy church and that we're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And I give thanks for that. And I affirm that. I do believe we're a healthy church. But wherever you're coming from this morning, whether it's a place of hurt or a place of gratefulness and gratitude, today God has a word for us in his word of how a church can become more healthy. Yes, I think there's a lot of things that we're doing well as a church, but we want to always recalibrate according to God's word. And that's what we have today as we get a picture of the early church in Acts chapter 2. To give you some context, we haven't been going through the book of Acts. What's happened here in the book of Acts is that Jesus has risen from the dead. 
And he's told his disciples, you know, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. There's about 120 believers at this time. And on the Jewish day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did just that. There were thousands of believers gathered in Jerusalem to worship for this Jewish special day. And the Holy Spirit came in power. There's a mighty rushing wind. There were tongues of fire that rested upon people. People were understanding languages that they had never learned. It was a miraculous event. And in the midst of that, the Apostle Peter stood up and gave an interpretation of what was going on. And in the midst of his sermon, he said, you know, you all, you Jewish people, you have crucified the Lord of glory. You have crucified Jesus Christ. And they said, what? What must we do? He said, repent and be baptized. And on that very day, the church went from 120 people to 3,000 because 3,000 people, or over 3,000, 3,000 people said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And what you'll notice in this passage, which comes immediately after that event of Pentecost, what you'll notice is that this church that's described, everything is positive. We don't, we don't get a lot of negative in this section of Scripture. We'll get that in all the other letters. We'll get that in Corinthians. We'll get that in uh, Thessalonians. We'll get it elsewhere. And, and soon, in the church in Jerusalem, we'll get it as well. The church is going to undergo persecution, and some of its leaders are going to be jailed and even killed. The church is going to have to scatter to other cities because of the anger towards these new believers. Soon, Jewish and Gentile believers are not going to get along. So all is not going to be perfect for long. But this early church is given to us by God as a picture of the priorities that believers should have. It's, it's something that we should all strive for as local churches. And here at Hope Fellowship, we want to strive to be this type of church One thing I'll mention before we get into the actual text is just a quick statement on how we interpret narrative sections of Scripture, like this here in Acts. Because as we're reading the book of Acts, we can say, well, is this this a descriptive part of Scripture where it's just describing what happened in the early church? Or is it prescriptive? Is this describing what happened, but also saying this is for us today? And even in our passage in Acts 242 to 47, we see descriptive and prescriptive right in the same verses. And so one rule that we can use as believers, as we're reading scripture, to say, is this descriptive or prescriptive, is to say, well, is this affirmed? Is this commanded elsewhere in scripture? Does the whole testimony of scripture lend itself to these practices? And so that's the kind of rule we're going to go as we're thinking about how to apply some of these things to the church today, because not everything is going to be applied one-to-one. So what is the main theme? What's the main theme of this text? It's, It's really about a healthy church, and I believe it's this. It's that a healthy church is full of committed believers who are devoted to God's priorities. I'll repeat it. A healthy church is full of committed believers who are devoted to God's priorities. And as we look at this text in Acts 2, at the beginning, what we see is an overview of what this church was devoted to and how God worked amongst them. Then in the middle verses to the end, we see in depth, what does that look like in practice? What what did that look like for them and what could it look like for us? 
And then the end, we see that God added to their number daily. He, he increased their number. And so based on that flow, this passage, I believe, has three implications for each of us personally as a follower of Christ, as we at Hope Fellowship seek to be a more healthy church. Three implications for us. The first is this, devote yourself to God's priorities. We see that in verses 42 to 47, or 42 to 43. The second is to commit yourself to other believers. We see that in verses 44 to 47. And then third, remember who is in charge. See that at the very end, the last part of 47. So let's begin by learning how we can devote ourselves to God's priorities as we seek at Hope Fellowship to be a more healthy church. If you think about it, you rarely drift into healthiness. I don't know many people who have just kind of sat on the couch and then all of a sudden got in better shape or all of a sudden uh, lost some weight. You know, right now at Hope Fellowship, there's just a handful of guys. Uh, I don't think women do this, but, but guys, they have a, a competition for how much weight they can lose in the first couple months of 2023. And so they have a goal, and they want to meet that goal. And in order to meet that goal, if you're going to win, if you're one of those men here, you're going to have to not do some things and not eat some things that you really like to eat and, and not do some things you like to do. And the same is true when it comes to health in the church. If you want to be a healthy member, and if we want to be a healthy community here at Hope Fellowship, we need to follow God's priorities in the power of the Holy Spirit. And our goal is not weight loss. Our goal is that we would be more and more confirmed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, that us as a group, us individually and us as a group would be more and more conformed into the likeness of Jesus so that when people see us, they say, wow, Jesus is there. He is among them. They are his representatives. And so if we're going to do that, we need to follow God's plan. And so in verse 42 of Acts 2, four of these priorities of the church are highlighted. So look there in the text. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, the believers in the early church were a community that relied on the Holy Spirit. And as such, they were devoted to practices that would bring God the most glory and honor. These were practices that were simultaneously focused on God and focused on one another. There wasn't a dichotomy there. It was focused on God and focused one, on one another in community together. Got to remember that at this time, these new believers did not have the Bible as we did. And we see their first priority here is in verse 42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles functioned authoritatively in speaking the words of Jesus and interpreting the Old Testament scriptures to these new Jewish believers. It says they, they would meet daily in probably the Solomon's portico there in the temple, and they would hear the apostles' teaching and apply the apostles' teaching to their lives. Now, today, we do not have any apostles. I am not an apostle, so I, I don't claim that. But we do have the apostles' teaching. 
And the apostles' teaching has been written down in the New Testament. And so today, if we wanted to follow, just like the early church, the apostles' teaching, the equivalent is to be committed to God's Word. And specifically, to be committed to gather together to hear God's Word faithfully proclaimed. That's why I hope you all are here. We're here to hear from God, not to hear what Eric has to say, but what God has to say through his word together, and he works powerfully among us when we do so. There's another couple things to note and take away here about their devotion to the apostles' teaching. The first is that corporate worship was centered around God's word through the apostles. Again, we don't have apostles, but the, the, the worship was centered around God's word. It was something they were committed to. It wasn't haphazard. It wasn't optional. They were ongoingly committed to this. The, the sense there in the Greek is the devoted to. It's an ongoing. It's a participle, present participle. It's saying they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The second thing to note more generally is that teaching is central to the Christian faith. We are people with a message centered around God's authoritative word. So whenever we're gathered as as believers, that's why every ministry that we have here at Hope is centered around his word, because we're not here just to hang out. We're here as God's people centered around his word to be changed and be change agents in other people's lives. So again, today the, the apostles are no longer alive but we do have the New Testament. And so one way to think about applying this verse is, are you committed to the gathered worship here at Hope Fellowship? You know, during COVID, it's it's really hard, or or, sorry, it's really easy to not gather if you, you you know, start snowing or you just don't want to, you just watch the live stream. But we need to gather around God's word each week, because this is one of God's main priorities for his people. Well, second thing, the second priority we see of these believers, that they were devoted to the fellowship. You've probably heard teaching on fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, and this word means a close association with something or someone. It can also mean, quite literally, just a sharing Sharing of lives, sharing of resources. John Stott wisely summarizes fellowship in this way. He says, Christian fellowship is Christian caring. And Christian caring is Christian sharing. So if, if you're to be, and we are to be committed to a fellowship, we are committed to sharing our stuff and our lives with one another. One way you can step out and being devoted to the fellowship here at Hope Fellowship is by becoming a member or by remembering why you became a member and and what you committed to in the first place, maybe some years ago. Because when you become a member of a church, it means that you are identifying yourself as a follower of Christ with that particular group of believers. They have affirmed that you are a follower of Christ. You are committing yourself to be an active participant with that group. To gathering together, which we just talked about, to holding one another accountable to walk faithfully with the Lord and be held accountable yourself. 
It's a commitment to serving with the gifts that God has given you in that particular body and to share your resources for the furtherance of the mission of that church and their ministry. So if you are a member, this is a good reminder. That's, that's what you signed up for when you became a member. You were devoting yourself to the fellowship here at Hope Fellowship. And if you're not yet a member, it's a great plug for our membership class coming up in a couple weeks, February 26th, 1 to 3 p.m. That could be a next step. So the believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. This third priority we see is that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. We, we see this explained a little more detail in verse 46, but the breaking of bread meeting meant eating together in one another's homes. And quite likely or possibly, this culminated in what we now call communion or uh, a meal of celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, it's a commitment to know others and to be known by others in a more personal way. Not just here at church, but in one another's homes, sharing life together. There's not a divorce between our life at church and our life at home. It's, it's an integrated life. Well, the fourth priority that we see here is that they were devoted to the prayers. Now, we are called to pray individually. The Lord clearly calls us to do that as believers, but that's not what this is referring to. This is referring to corporate prayer, praying together as a church. At this time, there were likely set times for prayer. They may have followed the Jewish calendar a couple times a day. They may have done something different, but they were committed, devoted to one another to pray together to seek the Lord together. And we know that these times were not like most prayer meetings. They were, uh, which are not well attended. <laughs> uh, these were well attended. They were devoting themselves to seeking the Lord as a body together. A couple of weeks ago, you may know that we gathered on a Sunday night to pray. And it was a wonderful time in the Lord's presence. And we want to continue to do that as a church in the months ahead. We, we may not do it every week, but we may do it every month or every other month because we believe, like this scripture, that we need to be gathering. We're dependent people upon the Lord. If we want to do anything of note for the kingdom, if we want to be changed by the Lord Jesus, if we want to be a witness to our neighbors, the Lord is going to do that. And we need to gather together and be changed by him as we come into his presence. So when the church made these commitments, these devotions, the apostles' teaching, the word of God being explained the, to sharing together in the fellowship and the breaking of bread, the Lord was pleased to work powerfully among him. So look what he did in verse 43. It says first that he brought awe or reverence or fear upon every soul. As the believers committed themselves to these things, the Lord was pleased to manifest his presence among them. There was a fear of him that was amongst the community and with the outsider as they gathered in this, this kind of community. And in addition to this awe, God was granting the apostles miraculous power. So we read in the text, many wonders and signs were being done by them. 
So here at the birth of the church with his unique representatives, the apostles, we don't have apostles today, they had unique authority, God used these people uh, in, a, in a special way to teach and then also to perform signs and wonders, miracles, if you will. And that was to confirm what had been prophesied in Joel and elsewhere in the Old Testament. This was to confirm that their message was authoritative, that God looked with favor on their message, that they were continuing the message of Jesus after he had risen from the dead. And it does beg the question today, well, how should we expect God to work amongst us? Should, should we expect these signs and wonders? Should we expect a great fear to come among us as we're gathered together? It brings us back to what I said earlier about what is prescriptive and what is descriptive in these verses. Well, if we think of the prescriptive, that would be the practices that these believers were devoted to. They're all prescriptive because we see them affirmed elsewhere in the New Testament. We need to devote ourselves to these same practices because they're all elsewhere. But how God chose to work among them, that is more descriptive than prescriptive. We cannot manufacture the awe of God coming upon us as God's word is preached, as we gather together. God is pleased to do that at certain seasons certain times in the church's life, certain Sundays perhaps, but we can't manufacture that. And in the same way, while we pray for people to be healed when they are going to the hospital, while we are praying for God to work powerfully amongst us, we cannot manufacture that. We can't do these four things, devote ourselves to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and, and voila, there's going to be signs and wonders. We cannot expect that to happen, even though God does work however he may. So when you look at this list of what the believers devoted themselves to, I, I hope that you see reflected the values of Hope Fellowship. Because we as a church are devoted to the word of God. We are devoted to the faithful proclamation of that, whether that's in the pulpit or in men's and women's Bible study or in Hope Kids or any one of our ministries. That is what we are devoted to. We are devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread. You may wonder, why do we have mission groups? Why do we meet every week? Isn't that a little bit inconvenient? Well, it is. It is inconvenient for some of us. But it's because we're devoted to sharing life together in one another's homes, around his word, praying together, sharing life and resources together. And we are devoted to prayer. Admittedly, we have a, a lot of room to grow here, like most churches, uh, but the elders are thinking of ways to help us grow and be equipped in this area. I'm even writing a doctoral dissertation of how Hope Fellowship can be more devoted to prayer. That's how much we are concerned about this in our church. But I wonder which one of these areas the Lord is pointing out in your own life. Because as we talked about, if a, healthy, if a church is going to be healthy, the individuals need to be devoted to these things as well. So perhaps for you, it is just showing up on Sunday and making a commitment to do so. Not to check off a box, but because you know this is the means with which God uses to grow us as individual believers and as a, as a body. Maybe for you, it's taking the next step in community. 
It's going outside your comfort zone, not just hanging out with those you really like, not just calling up those you would hang out with anyway, but maybe it's reaching out to someone who's on the fringes here at Hope Fellowship. Whatever way it is, I would ask that you would go before God and ask Him to give you His heart in this matter. Well, devoting ourselves to God's priority in the context of the church, it it might still seem a bit abstract to you. And that's why I love verses 44 to 47, because it gets really nitty-gritty here. It gives us a tangible, tangible example of how this kind of devotion plays itself out in real life. And it leads to our second personal implication if we want to be a healthy church here at Hope Fellowship. And that's a need to commit yourself to other believers. Commit yourself to other believers. You see, for the early church to devote themselves to God's priorities, it necessitated them being together. They couldn't just like be alone, doing their own thing, their own devotions, their own time with the Lord, their own walk with the Lord. They had to be together. And in what ways, in verse 44, we see that. It says, all who believed were together. And so, uh, we need to think about the ways they were together, and, and we get a glimpse into that in two different ways. Uh, the two different ways are this. They shared their stuff, and they shared their lives. So first, they shared their stuff. That's not like a technical term, by the way. Stuff is just, it's their possessions, everything. So at the end of verse 44, it says that these believers had all things in common. If I were to tell a person, like, I have all things in common with you, It'd be like, we both like basketball, you know, we, we uh, go to the same places for entertainment and fun, we watch the same kind of shows. That's having all things in common. That's what I would say. But that's not what this means here. The word for common there is linked to the word fellowship, koinonia. It's like koinos is, is the word. And so it's a, a, sh- it's a, it's a sharing, it's a participation And in verse 45, it shows us one thing that they had in common, and that was their possessions. And just a warning, this is probably the most convicting passage uh, in in our, or verse in our whole passage. Uh, What were they devoting to themselves? This is what it looked like in practice as they devoted themselves to the fellowship. It's a remarkable verse. Look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now that's getting a little personal. I don't know. A little bit personal. These 3,000 believers in Jerusalem were so captured by Jesus. They were so devoted to the mission. They were so filled with joy that they took their stuff. They saw that everything was given to them by God, and they held it with an open hand. Nothing was off limits to God. They held it with an open hand. They realized that whatever God had given, they were stewards of it. They were not owners of it. They were stewards of what God had given. But lest we think this was Christian communism, forced poverty, that's not what this was. Nobody was forced to do this. We know that from Acts 5 and Ananias and Sapphira. The, the apostles were like, hey, when, it was, when you had this land, you could have done whatever you wanted with it. This was not forced upon them. This was not like dull and dry either. They, we learn in verse 46, they were uh, together with glad and generous hearts. This was a joyful, willing sharing 
of what they had. And as Western Christians, we can't just immediately dismiss this practice. Because if you're like me, you read this and be like, yep, that's what the early church did. They didn't have insurance. They didn't have Medicaid and all that kind of stuff. They didn't, you know, this was a poor church in Jerusalem. There's a reason most of us go in mentally and we just say, yeah, not for today. Totally descriptive, not prescriptive. But before we do that, what likely these believers were motivated by, again, were the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching of what Jesus taught them. And what did, the, what did Jesus teach them, the apostles, about possessions? In Luke chapter 12, he said this. These are, he's teaching the apostles who are now teaching the early church. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These early believers were obeying the words of Jesus, quite literally. Now, what am I saying and what am I not saying? Or what is God saying in his word? Does, does this mean you need to go home and sell your house and then give it to the church? No, that's, that's not what this means. Although, I'm not going to debate if God wants to move in that way in your life. There were still people with homes. They couldn't have gathered in one another's homes if they didn't still have homes. So people still did have possessions. In 1 Timothy, Paul is saying, to the rich, be generous and ready to share. He doesn't say, to the rich, become poor. So here... We do need to take all of Scripture into account. Jesus is saying, sell your possessions. Paul is saying these other things. We're seeing things in Acts that show people do have possessions. The point here is not, should or should I not sell my house? The point here is, where is my heart? Do I believe that God owns everything that I have? Everything. It's all his. And am I open, when I'm becoming aware of a need, am I open to sharing, even sacrificially, even so I might not be able to get a Starbucks or take a family on vacation, am I willing to sacrifice for the sake of what God is calling me to do in my community? Martin Luther once said, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. Uh, when, if it's a man, maybe it's a merce, you know, but it's a, it's a purse. John Wesley said, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. See, these early believers had their purses and wallets converted. They were all in. Following Christ didn't just mean coming to church. They were willing to share their stuff. And we need to follow their example. And so the question is, how do I apply this? How, how might you apply this today? Well, I, I wonder, when you are confronted with a material need of another believer here at Hope, what is your first response? That's a good indication of where your heart is. Is it like, man, that person needs to work harder. I don't know why they're in the situation they're in. Is your first response, well, surely someone else with more means would be called to help here, not me. 
Or are you ready? Are you willing, when presented with a need, to prayerfully consider, would God have you step into that need and have it be filled? Another way to apply this is to look for ways to meet tangible needs all around you. You, you hear of needs in your mission group. And I hope that we are living life close enough that we are sharing needs with one another and being willing to meet those needs. Because sometimes in a community, we're just not willing to admit we're in trouble. So that might be on you if you're in trouble right now. Some application for you is to just let the body know that you're in trouble. But are you willing to meet those needs? You can do this informally. You don't need to do it through the official channels of the church. But there is an official channel. That's why we have the Hope Cares Benevolence Fund. We have a whole fund that's designated to meet the needs of the believers around here. And so maybe a step for you is to give to that fund, and the church and the leaders will distribute that as anyone has need. But let's not move past that. Let's not just write off these verses. Because in the West, and as Christians in the West, this is something that really has a stranglehold on our hearts. We have to ha be open-handed with our stuff. So a commitment together is a commitment to sharing your stuff. It's also, these early believers, uh, they had a commitment of sharing their lives, meeting practical needs. Formally, as they shared their lives, in verse 46, it says that these believers were attending the temple together day by day. It means they were devoted to corporate worship. They weren't neglecting to meet together. That was formally. But then informally, they were breaking bread in their homes. You know, when Sarah and I were newly married, a very well-meaning Christian couple invited us over to have a meal along with some other people. And right there in the dining area was this sign that was very obvious. It said, offer hospitality without grumbling. And Sarah and I chuckled, and, it, and we thought, well... Do they want to grumble by having us over? Are they upset that they're having us over? Why are they having us over? We didn't, we didn't know why they were having us over. If you have such a sign in your home, great. Just don't put it right in your dining room because your guests may think you don't really want them over. That was not the attitude of the early church. The early church, they were, they were receiving food with glad and generous hearts. This is something they wanted to do. God gave them great joy to share life together, to invite one another into each other's homes. But this uh, devotion to one another isn't just merely hanging out. It's not just merely having a meal. So verse 47 says that it included praising God. There was a, probably a time of prayer, maybe a time of singing together. Again, the point is, is that there's integration in the Christian life. It's not how I act at church, and then when I come home, we don't talk about God and what he's doing in our lives. There's an integration between the two, and that's what they were doing. And the result of this powerful witness of the church was that God gave them favor with all the people, insiders and outsiders. People are like, what is this community? What is this compelling community? They're sharing their stuff. They love each other. They're sacrificing for each other, and they're inviting us into it. This wasn't a holy huddle. This wasn't like, hey, we've got great community. We're not going to invite anybody in because if we do, they're going to mess it up. God's community is very different than the world's community. 
God's community invites others into it. And if you are in this kind of community, that's not the biblical community that God is calling us to as Hope Fellowship. So how do we apply that portion of Scripture here? Well, if you're less connected, I would encourage you to take the next step of community. That could be joining a mission group, coming to men's and women's Bible study. Just press into community. And if you are more committed here at Hope, applying these verses of sharing your life is kind of like we said earlier. It's taking the next step. It's, it's taking the step, not the comfortable step. You know if you invite, fill in the blank, it's not going to be a big deal for you. But you may invite someone you don't know over and start to share life. You may invite someone who's a little more awkward than you are, and you pour into their life because you want to cultivate this community. That's what we need here at Hope Fellowship. Well, as we close the passage, the, we get to the third point, and because this a healthy church is full of believers who are devoted to God's priorities. They're committed to one another, but we can never forget where this power lies. We don't just try really hard to make this community. This is a community that is fueled by God himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that leads to our final personal implication of being a healthy church, and that's to remember who is in charge. Remember who is in charge. So look at the very last verse of our text. It reminds us that this is Jesus' church. He is building it as he wishes. The text says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. It's the Lord who grows the fellowship and even the size of a church. We cannot manufacture that. A healthy church realizes that salvation is from the Lord. But it also realizes that it's their responsibility to be, therefore, a witnessing church because he is calling countless people to himself right in the western suburbs, right in Lombard and West Chicago and Wheaton or wherever you live. He is calling people to himself and implied in this statement that the Lord added to those who were being saved is that early believers were sharing the good news about Jesus. It wasn't just that they had a great community, which they did. They were sharing the gospel, and the gospel is news that needs to be shared. If we want to evangelize, we need to share actual news. And you may be thinking like, well, I would have no idea how to share that news. Well, let me give you one tool in one minute to share the gospel that's, that's fairly simple. You just have to remember four words. God, us, Jesus, response. Four words. So first, God. God is perfectly holy, and he wants a relationship with us. He has created human beings for a relationship. Us. We are all sinful, every single one of us. We have all sinned in our thoughts, our actions, and our deeds, and our very being. And we are guilty before a holy God. Jesus. Jesus is the one that God sent fully man and fully God to earth to live a perfect life, to die on a Roman cross as God poured out his wrath against sin on that one Jesus. He rose from the dead three days later, and now he lives in resurrection power, and he is the only one by which we must be saved. There is no other way that we can be saved from the wrath of God. 
And then fourth, response. We just need to respond. If the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, we need to respond to that truth and confess our sins, turn from them, which the Bible calls repentance, turn to Him, the Bible calls faith, and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus, surrendering our will for His. And if we do that, if that's real, if that's not just like a moment, God will save us, and He will save us into a people. He will save us into His church to grow. You can do that, people. Four words, you could do that. We have the resources to be a witnessing church here in the western suburbs. So if you don't yet know Jesus, I would challenge you to spend time around the church. I would challenge you to submit your life to Jesus. If you're not ready for that, then just hang out with some Christians for a while. Because as you do, you'll see it's a different community than the community you've been experiencing. They love one another differently. If you are a believer, let this example from the early church spur you on to share your faith with others. If we're going to be a compelling community, if we're going to be a healthy church, we will be a witnessing community. If we're ingrown, that's not healthy. That is not, I mean, who likes an ingrown toenail? Come on. It's not good. We don't want to be an ingrown toenail of a church. We want to be growing. We want to be healthy. And that means we're sharing the truth of God with others. And we're sharing our lives with one another as we look to Jesus. So what we get as we close in the early church is not a formula to follow. This isn't a checkbox. We do these four things or five things if you include witnessing. And then God's going to do X, Y, Z. Instead, what we see are healthy practices that the Lord wants his believers to follow. We don't guarantee any fruit. That's up to the Lord. But we can devote ourselves to these priorities that God gives in his word. He's laid them out for us of what a healthy church looks like. And why is it important that we're a healthy church? It's because this is God's primary means to help you grow and develop as a believer. It's the local church. It's also the primary means he uses to bring people into the faith and grow. When we are saved, we are not saved alone. We're saved into a body, into a family. So I want you to envision for a moment a snapshot of Hope Fellowship. If someone, you know, this, this early church had something written about them. There's what, five verses. What would the five verses be written about Hope Fellowship? If someone looked 100 years from now. Thousand years if the Lord hasn't come back. My prayer, and I hope your prayer, is that Hope Fellowship would reflect the traits of this early church increasingly as we rely on the Holy Spirit's power to transform our lives and the lives of unbelievers. We are not perfect here. By no means are we perfect, but we follow one who is, and he's making us like his son. And so as we devote ourselves to God's priorities, as we commit ourselves to one another, he will be pleased to work powerfully among us, and he will bring increasing health. So that's my prayer. I hope it is your prayer as well, that as in the months and years to come, that we would reflect this at Hope Fellowship. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so awed and captivated by you that you would use us. We, we know how limited we are. We know how sinful we are. 
We know how much we have failed, even as we think of these practices. Maybe some are filled with intense guilt now. Lord, we know that that's uh, not your intent to just crush people with guilt, but rather to convict and to lovingly guide us in a new direction. So, Lord, if someone is feeling guilty right now, I pray um, that they would respond to you. They would see you and your, your compassion, your love for them, and they would respond. Lord, I, I know that many here at Hope are, are living this out. I am, I am uh, seeing that around the church in many ways. People are serving. They are committed. They're relying on you. Lord, may that increase. May their tribe increase. May uh, they move into the new vistas of where you have them to uh, obey as your followers. And Lord, we want to be healthy, so we pray that your Holy Spirit would come in power and make us here at Hope Fellowship a church that reflects your name and your character. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.